The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. So go to the back of your Bible. Go to the book of Revelation and go backwards and you'll run into Hebrews very quickly. That's the easiest way to find it. Um, So we're taking a break, obviously, from Jacob this week. And part of the reason is uh, we always want to be clear as a church about who we are and who we want to be. And the reason is, just like with any other organization, and this probably sounds crazy when it has to do with the church, but it's not that crazy. Uh, It's really easy for uh, the church, just like other organizations, to forget who we are, to become distracted by so many other things, by so many good things, and there's going to be so many good things happening in the life of our church this fall. Uh, and so, because that is a temptation and easy for us to do, we always want to come back and remind ourselves, and we do it at least once a year, uh, remind ourselves of who we are. And so, we want to ask obvious questions this morning. What are we about? What is our main thing? What is this uh, thing called Faith Presbyterian Church? What is it? And what are we about? Perhaps you've had similar questions if you have been visiting uh, or you're a new member. Uh, and we could say lots of things this morning. We could talk in, about how much we love and care about theology, how much we love and care about sound doctrine. We could talk about our love for community and that we want to see people developing and cultivating deep community and relationships in our church. We could talk about missions and how we want to see the gospel go to the world and go to our city. We, want, we could talk about our love for children and our students and families, and we could go on and on and on this morning talking about all the things that we care about as a church and things that are important to us. But if we could boil it down to one thing... All of those things funnel down into this. We want to be a church that rejoices in and makes much of the real Jesus. We want to be a church that more than anything else rejoices in and makes much of the real Jesus. I say the real Jesus because we're not talking about the Jesus that we make in our own image. We do that. You know that, right? or the Jesus that we see in the culture, or who the culture says Jesus is. No, we want to rejoice in the Jesus that's revealed to us in the Scriptures. The real Jesus. And as the Apostle Paul says, think about when we want to think about this one thing of rejoicing in Christ, Paul says it this way, I resolved and decided to know nothing but what? To the Corinthians. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Or as one translation says, I forget everything else, Paul says. Everything else I forget about but this one thing. Christ and Him crucified. That's our thing. It was Paul's thing. It's our thing. It's the thing that we want to shape every single thing we do 
and be the center of everything at our church. If we could say it another way, we would say it like this. If you could wrap your arms around our church and squeeze Faith Presbyterian Church, the thing that we want to come out is that we are a group of people, a community that finds lasting joy and true life in Jesus and in Him only. If we do that, everything else, missions, all the other things I've mentioned, everything else will fall into place. So that is our hope. And so with that in mind, follow along with me as I read this amazing passage in Hebrews chapter 1. This is God's Word. It will also be on the screen behind me. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help this morning. Please pray with me. Father, these things that I have just read are too lofty for me. They are too lofty for me to talk about. And so I need your help. I need you to fill me with your spirit and help me communicate these amazing truths about the Lord Jesus and who he is and what he came into this world to do. Please help me. I pray for those that are listening that you, as you tell us in Psalm 19 about the Word of God reviving our souls, would you revive our souls this morning? Would you meet us where we are, wherever we are, whether sad and lonely, suffering, sick, or whether we're rejoicing and have never been better spiritually, wherever we are, come and do what I cannot do, and that is take this passage and put it inside of our hearts and change us. Would you renew us? Make us a church who has an all-consuming passage for Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into these few verses in Hebrews, a couple of things to give you the context for the book. The book of Hebrews, we're not completely sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we do know it was written primarily to Jewish Christians. So it's written to a group of people that have embraced Jesus, and yet now they're suffering. Now they're being persecuted. Now they're facing opposition. They're living in a culture and in a time where they are at odds with the people around them because of their faith. And it's starting to cost them to be a Christian. 
it's starting to cost them to follow Jesus. Their joy had been taken out of them, and they're wondering if it's worth it to continue on with Christ. Does that sound familiar? You see, if you're listening, you'll realize this letter, the letter of Hebrews is for us this morning. Because you see, perhaps more than any other time in our nation's history, it is not popular, you know this, to be a Christian. Perhaps more than any other time in our country, it is more costly than ever to be a Christian, and it is not going to get any better. In fact, it will get worse. And these Christians, just like us, they needed encouragement. They needed something that they could hold on to that would help them continue on and persevere in their faith. And notice what the author of Hebrews does. He doesn't give them um, these struggling, persecuted Christians. He doesn't give them a task force and say, set up this task force or committee on how you can do this and stay strong and confident. He doesn't give them a new program. No, you know what he does? The very first thing, right from the get-go, he shows them Jesus. He offers them not a program, but a person. Why does he do that? Because seeing Jesus and reminding them and reminding us of who Jesus is is what we need the most, isn't it? Because it's the thing that would give us courage to stand strong. Why? Well, it's obvious. If we've got a, a small Jesus in our hearts, then our joy will be small. And our commitment and our courage will be small. But if we've got a big Jesus, if we've got a beautiful and significant Jesus that has filled our hearts, it will lead us to rejoice. It will lead us to move out into the world with confidence and with strength. And if we're ever going to be a place in a church that rejoices in Jesus then we need wonder. We need beauty. We need bigness. We need to be captivated with the glory of Jesus more than ever before. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews wants to do in our hearts this morning through this passage. The book of Hebrews, you've heard me say this a lot in our church, the book of Hebrews has one point, and that is Jesus is better than you think. That's the point of Hebrews. Jesus is better than everything else. And if we're going to be a church uh, of rejoicing, then we must really believe that. And so in order to help us believe that, the writer shows us this morning that Jesus is the true king, number one. That Jesus is the true prophet, number two. And lastly, he shows us that Jesus is the true priest. So let's dig in. Jesus is the true king. Look at verse 2. This whole passage, we could actually spend weeks and weeks on just these few verses. They truly are amazing. Let me just scratch the surface in these verses, and we'll take one section at a time. In these last days, look at verse 2. God has spoken by his son. The last days, we tend to think of that sometime in the future. No, you're living right now in the last days. You know this. 
We are in, according to the way the Bible talks about the last days, we are in the last days because the last days, when the Bible mentions it, anytime you see it, it's the time uh, between when Jesus came, his first coming, and his second coming. And so think about the amazing privilege we have to live in what is called the last days. God has spoken the final word in Christ. Jesus is the point of human history. The author continues, follow along with me. His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. That's what sons are. They are heirs to what? All that belongs to their father. And so if Jesus is the heir, that means Jesus, uh, the whole world, all creation belongs to him because Jesus is the king. Through him, it continues, whom also he created the world. I mean, think about that. Through whom also he, Jesus, created the world. You see, we tend to think that Jesus just shows up on the scene in Bethlehem in a manger as a baby. No, Jesus has always been. Jesus was with God the Father as the living word at creation. Think about Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by him and for him. The word world there is not referring to the physical world. It's a word that actually means the ages, meaning that Jesus not only, of course, he created the physical earth, but he also created time and space and matter and energy, and he does it all with no uh, stress at all. He does it by the power of his word. He simply speaks and it comes into being because Jesus is the creator of all things. This is amazing stuff. He's also the sustainer of all things. Look at verse 3, the end. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that. Try to get your mind around this. Everything in the universe right now is sustained by Jesus and his word. Jesus doesn't create the world and then just leave it to its own. No, Jesus is the sustainer of the world. And so think about the reason the seasons come and the reason this world has order and the reason the sun comes up every single morning And the reason that you are breathing right now and taking your next breath is because Jesus is sustaining you. He is holding you and he's holding the world up. And again, there's no sweat on his brow. He's not struggling thinking, how am I going to do all of this? No, it's no effort at all. Simply with a word. And yet we wonder, I wonder often, Jesus, are you up for this situation? 
Are you up for this difficult situation in my life or whatever that you're dealing with this morning? Don't we ask that? Or we ask, Jesus, can I trust you with this? Can I trust you with my life? Or we wonder if the world is spinning out of control. It is not. You can trust Jesus. Because this Jesus of Hebrews chapter 1 is holding your life and he's holding the world and so we can rest. And dare I say we can actually rejoice because we can have confidence that Jesus is sustaining all things, including your life, by the power of his word. Philippians chapter 4 says... This is a tough command. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And the reason why that's tough, always is the word that's hard, isn't it? It's easy for us, I think, to rejoice when things are going well and we're getting everything we want in life. The hard part, but he says always. Uh, And so the hard part is rejoicing when things aren't so good. When we're in those winter seasons of life, those difficult seasons of life. And that's what I want to talk about. How do we rejoice? I think we can rejoice when things are good. But how do we do it when things aren't good? How do we rejoice in Jesus? That's who we want to be. How do we do it then? I want to suggest it's only when we're worshiping this Jesus. This Jesus of Hebrews 1, will we ever be able to rejoice no matter, rejoice in Jesus, no matter what the circumstances might, might be in our lives. And let me be clear, by rejoice and joy, I don't mean smiling all the time. I don't mean uh, happiness. I don't mean ignoring your situation and the reality of how hard things are in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. Because, you see, happiness is always tied to situation and circumstances. Rejoicing and true joy, as it's talked about in the Bible, is never tied to circumstances. Rejoicing in Jesus means that you let Jesus dictate your situation and circumstances, not the other way around. You let Jesus dictate your circumstances and situation. You don't let your circumstances dictate and control you. Let me say it another way. When you've got pain and you're in those winter seasons of life, if Jesus is the biggest thing in your life, if he's the biggest thing in your heart, then you'll be able to rejoice. If your circumstances and your situation is the biggest thing, then you'll be moody. You'll be discouraged and frustrated and depressed. Why? Because when we view our lives through this Jesus, this creator and sustainer of all things, what we soon realize is that nothing comes to us that does not first pass through his fatherly hands. And so we want to be a church that puts our arms around one another in those winter seasons in those hard seasons of life. We want to be a church that puts its arms around one another. Students, when you're lonely and feel disconnected, or you're struggling at school, 
or when there's addiction in the home, or when your child is in trouble at school, or whether you have that health issue that you're scared to look into because you know what it might mean, or whether you're in a hard marriage, or you've lost a job, or maybe you're older and you're getting older and your only joy in life is really looking back at what used to be. You see, we want to be a place that we put our arms around one another and we rejoice our way together through those hard seasons of life. And we do it not by looking at our circumstances, but we do it by looking at this Jesus, the real Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 1. If we're ever going to be a place that truly rejoices and makes much of Jesus, we've got to be clear on who he is. He's the king. He's the creator and he's the sustainer of the world. He's the true king. Secondly, the true prophet. What did the prophets do? They revealed God, right? And they revealed God's intention and his character and his commands. And Jesus is the greater ultimate prophet that has ever been. Why? Because Jesus is God, Jesus, like, is, as we like to say, is God with skin on. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer gives us two images that help us grasp the glory and wonder of Jesus. Look at the first one. It has to do with the image of light in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The word radiance means shining or brightness. So we think about light. Hang with me here. You can distinguish light from its source. You can distinguish light from its source, but whatever light you're talking about, you can distinguish that, but you can't separate the two. Maybe this will be helpful. I heard this this week. Think about the sun, S-U-N. When you go out on a Saturday afternoon and you get burned by it, you come in and you do not say, I got burned by too much sunlight. What do you say? I got too much sun. And that is true. Because the sun is the source, even though, think about this, 94 million miles away. The sun is the source, but the sun is also the radiance that comes to the earth and burns and warms and gives off light. There's no radius without the light, and there is no light without radiating. And Jesus is saying that he is the radiance of the Father. And like God, he has always been. Our confession, Shorter Catechism, says that the Father and the Son are distinct, but they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Second image is the image of an imprint. Think about verse 3. It goes on to say, Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And this word here means stamp, and it was often used to describe the impressions of an image on a coin. Think about your, our coins. They have an image or a stamp on them. It referred to the exact image of the king or an emperor. And so Jesus, what the author is telling us, is the perfect personal 
imprint of God in space and time. He's the exact copy. In other words, if you've seen Jesus, then you've seen God. The Nicene Creed, which is a creed that's been confessed through church history, describes Jesus as God of God and light of light. And when we look at this, so where did the author of Hebrews get this idea about Jesus? And all of the rest of the writers in the New Testament, where did they get this from? They got it from the very mouth of God, from the very mouth of Jesus. Jesus walked the earth claiming to be God in the flesh. And it wasn't just what he claimed, it was also what people saw. Let me give you some examples. Mount of Transfiguration, Mark chapter 9. Elijah and Moses are there. Who's transfigured? Not Moses and Elijah. Jesus is transfigured in glory. And it wasn't just a reflection of God's glory like Moses was when he came down from Mount Sinai. Jesus is the very glory of God. The Apostle Paul rode to Dam- of Damascus. What happens to him when he meets Jesus? The light is so blinding and so powerful that it blinds him for a season and knocks him to the ground. What about the apostles and disciples on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4? And Jesus, there's a storm. They're fearful for their life. Jesus gets up and with what? A word completely calms the storm, smooth as glass. How did the disciples respond? It says they were greatly afraid. Why? Because of who was in the boat with them. Jesus, God in the flesh, was in the boat with them. And they were more afraid in that moment than they were of the storm. What about Revelation chapter 1? John sees this amazing image of Jesus. And what happens with John? He gets in the fetal position and curls up in a ball and wants to be dead because he has encountered Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, he changes you. You do not change him. My question for our church and for my life and for you is, is this. Is this your Jesus? The true prophet, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God, the one who created all things and who holds the world in his hand by the power of his word. Oftentimes, if truth be told, this is not our Jesus. Oftentimes, we have a weak and wimpy Jesus, don't we? And a weak and wimpy Jesus, friends, is not worthy of our worship. A weak and wimpy Jesus won't change your life. A weak and wimpy Jesus will not make us rejoice. What we need more than anything, in our, anything else in our lives and in our worship, the thing that is going to make us be a church that rejoices always, and makes much of Jesus is when we encounter this Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1. 
You see, we're always looking, aren't we? I do this, looking for a different silver bullet that's going to make life work, that's going to finally do the trick um, and make me really take off spiritually. And so we start looking for all sorts of things, fill in the blank. If I could just get more accountability, if I could just um, read that book on prayer or go to that seminar on parenting, that'll be the thing that finally causes me to take off. All those things are great. Go to those things, do those things, but that won't change your life. This will change your life. This person, Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, the true prophet, God in the flesh, coming by the power of the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your life and into this place. That is our vision for our church. More than anything else, When people come into this place, more than our great programs and they're great, more than our building and it's great, more than the nursery and it's great, and all the other things, we want people to encounter this Jesus and be changed in every relationship and in every aspect of their life. And you say, that's impossible. And I would say, you're right. On our strengths. On our own power and strength, we can't make this vision happen. This is only possible if God shows up. If God shows up, and isn't that what we want? We want a vision that is so great, we can't do it on our own strength and power. That it only happens if God shows up through His Spirit. And so would you pray? You want to pray for our church? Here's a prayer that you can pray this fall. Just simply pray this, God, make this vision a reality for our church this fall. That we would encounter this Jesus. Friends, we want nothing less than a divine encounter with this Jesus. We want his presence to fill every uh, aspect of of our lives and of our ministry at this church. Lastly, the true priest. So he's not only the true king, the true prophet, he's also the ultimate and true priest. You see, what did the priests do in the Old Testament? They made sacrifices on behalf of the people for the sins of the people. And the major difference with Jesus is uh, he didn't offer goats and bulls. The sacrifice of Christ was himself. He offered himself on a cross. Look at the end of verse 3 again. After making, this is amazing stuff. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I mean, Jesus does what the people have been longing for for thousands of years. Jesus comes into the world and gives us real, final, and full forgiveness of sins. And when you think about this passage, the implication, think about the word purification. What does that imply? Well, that you need to be purified. That all of us need to be purified. That we all have a stain. The Bible says we are all stained with sin and need to be purified. It says that in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think... We all know this deep down in our hearts. All of us. 
All of us know, all people know, they feel this, that there's something not right about us. And so we start trying to erase the stain and make ourselves okay. And we do it in a thousand different ways. We do it by trying to get enough followers on social media. That's going to make me feel better about myself and erase the stain. We do it through at, on the athletic field. We do it in the classroom by trying to be smart enough. We do it in our parenting, in the workplace, in morality. If I can just be good enough, we will look to anything and everything in order to give us the sense that we're clean, that we're really okay. And we spend our lives, people spend their lives going from one thing to the next, trying to make ourselves right, and nothing does the trick. Why? Because we're looking in the wrong places. There's only one person that can erase your stain. There's only one person that can make you okay. There's only one person that can get rid of your failures and your stains from the past and the shame that haunts you and keeps you up at night, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is saying. He's your purifier. And when we realize that we can't clean ourselves up and that Jesus is our only hope, suddenly Jesus becomes relevant. He becomes relevant to our lives. And when Jesus becomes relevant and we actually get that he's the sin purifier, you know what we start to do? Starts with an R. We start to rejoice. We start to go before Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, the great high priest. Look at uh, the phrase here and we'll finish. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty upon high. Did you know there were no seats in the Old Testament temple? There were no seats. The priests never sat down. They couldn't sit down because there was always one more sacrifice to make. One more animal to kill and sacrifice day after day and year after year to cover their sins. Not until Jesus, Jesus comes and he lives the life that we couldn't live. He's perfect and he dies the death on the cross for our sins, becoming the sacrifice. And he is hanging there dying and becoming the sacrifice for his people, the once and for all final sacrifice, because what does he say as he's hanging from the cross? It is finished. No more sacrifices. Over. Done. And he sits down. He sits down. Because the wrath of God is fully satisfied. That is unbelievable. Friends, Jesus has done everything necessary to bring you into the presence of God. And when we come into the presence of God now, we relate to God not on the basis of our own performance, but on the basis of Jesus and his performance and his record. Now do you see why the gospel is better than everything else? Do you see why... Hebrews would say Jesus is better than everything else because you see verse 3 gets right at the heart of Christianity. Gets right at the heart of what we want to be as a church. We want to be a church not of good advice telling you all the things you need to do in order to make God love you, but of good news. 
Jesus has done everything to make you clean and right and so you can rest. Isn't that good news? That's our base note. That is the drum that we want to beat over and over and over again as a church. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because that's the message that saves you if you're not a Christian. And that is also the message that changes and sanctifies you if you are a Christian. We've got lots of great things happening this fall. God is doing a lot in our church and we are so excited and we are so thankful. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of the grace groups and all of the activities and cookouts and socials, let us not forget the one thing. Let us not lose sight of rejoicing in this Jesus because he is what we need more than everything else. Why? Because he is the king and he's the prophet and he is the true priest. He really is better. Will you come to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending our prophet, priest, and king that Jesus would come and give his life for us. As we kick off this ministry year in our church, we pray, just what I've asked us to pray, God, show up and do what we can't do. From the youngest to the oldest, make your son, Jesus, more beautiful to us than ever before. Show us the real Jesus so that we might orient our lives and so that you might be fresh to us, and so that we might be changed. If there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you and has never put their faith in you, I pray that you would give them faith, that you would open up their eyes so that they could see you clearly. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.